We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter. We have a very, very, very special guest today. I'm not sure if we want to reveal that yet or not, but Kyle, what are you up to? Uh, Just watching a little Ricky Fowler, Tiger Woods at the Players' Championship. Excited to, to talk to our guest uh, we we can we can mention it. We're gonna have who, him on. In who a minute. are we kidding? We're gonna it's gonna be in the title of the podcast. What am I yeah. talking about? Yeah, it's uh, it's Mike Boynton round two. He's back back for more. Uh, we didn't scare him away by not knowing that he answered the phone last time. That was uh, my bad. So yeah, now we're we're excited to talk to him. A lot of a lot of buzz around Oklahoma State basketball right now, which is which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, we're we're kind of fired up to uh, to loop back with him and and talk about year one and and what's in store for the future. Yeah, that sounds good. I can't wait to talk to him. He's been busy on the uh, the twitters with the yeah. uh, emojis, so I'll have to get into that uh, and ask him just about how recruiting's gone and everything else. I can't wait to catch up with him. He's an amazing job. But we had do have some items to get to before that. Uh, you and I have not talked a lot about the Mason Rudolph Big Ben drama. Uh, what was your take on that? It's silliness. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen I've seen less um, drama in like like when I was in high school amongst friends. I mean, it, it's it's just absurd the way that you, you know, like, and, and I think there's a point to be made if people haven't seen it, basically. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was asked about uh, how Mason Rudolph said that he didn't think it was his Ben's job to to teach him stuff, which is a very like you know rookie thing to say. Like know your place. Like it's it's not his job. Like you should go and learn on your own and do your own thing and whatever. And Roethlisberger just completely took everything out of context and made it into this. Um, just whole ordeal and it was just it's almost like he went out of his way to to make the whole thing an ordeal didn't it didn't it feel like that to you yeah it it, to me it felt like ben was trying to uh make a a broader statement to the organization and look i i get some of the gripes that, that ben had in that you know they just drafted a quarterback in the fourth round last year even though he stinks from tennessee josh dobbs so I get being an older quarterback wanting players who can help you win now, not not your replacement. But Ben, at the same time, has to be realistic and realize, oh, yeah, I've talked about retirement three or four years in a row. Haven't played a full season in about four or five years. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what he expects the Steelers to do. I mean, they're supposed to not draft his replacement anytime soon, even though he's talked about retirement and can't finish the season healthy. So yeah. I thought, it, I thought it, and it was more than just that, Kyle. I thought it was very he – he, if you listen to the interview, like just the general tone of it, he sounded just so salty, petty. Like he made these little side, like side snide comments like, well, I, I assume I'm still the starter, but you know, like Ben, no one's saying you're not the starter, dude. Like, he's handling it, frankly, like a child. And there's reasons why the Steelers drafted Mason Rudolph. Obviously, they didn't expect him to be there in the third round. Um, but the way like Mason's handled it way better. Like, you're right. The statement Mason gave that he was like, well, book was like Mason like bowing down to Ben like Ben's such a hall of famer he doesn't want or need to help me I'm just a third round draft pick you know like it's not like Mason walked in there like Vince McMahon strutting around going I'm the new quarterback <laughs> Who, who's this old who's this old chubby guy I think he is with his you know two gloves on <laughs> with his two gloves on. yeah so I I thought I just I'm, I'm stunned frankly how poorly or how uh, just yeah, how poorly I guess Ben's handled it. Well, and I, I I sort of get the attitude of like, look, I'm not gonna let this guy take take this job from me. Like, whatever needs to get you going, bro. You know, if it's you know, what, however you want to view it. But the, the way he let it, Roethlisberger let it play out in the media, just seemed so uh, just pe- like the the there's a great word that you use, petty, like. If that's your posture, fine. Like I, I'm, I'm not against that. Like I, I think that we almost uh, swing too far the other way and think like, oh, these, 
veteran quarterback should welcome the rookies in. And it's like, well, maybe, but that guy's also like trying to take your job. Like it, you should certainly be a team, but there's a, there's a level of competitiveness there. My, my whole thing was like, he, he almost like was purposeful about getting it out there in the media. And it was just it, that, that was the part that just seemed really silly to me. Well, he does like a weekly radio show, which is unheard of around here. Um, from pro yeah. athletes but uh i appreciate his candor i just it the way he went about it was was all wrong i mean and giving me this sob story about josh dobbs who's like a fourth round draft pick and his sob story about landry jones who was a fourth round draft pick like yeah like they're not going to draft two fourth round quarterbacks and just say we're good we're good for the next 10 years we're good <laughs> we got landry jones and josh dobbs like yeah they're going to draft they're going to draft another quarterback in your time being quarterback the Steelers been. So I, that, that was, that was silly too. And let's face it. Mason's going to have to beat out Landry Jones. Who's yep. been a decent backup quarterback. He might not even do that in year one, but I think we all expect him to beat him out eventually. And the fact he is a third round pick, uh, you know, uh, a guy, they sp- spent the draft capital to go get, uh, you'd think Mason had every opportunity to win that job, but uh, that's going to be an awkward uh, quarterback room. You got Landry and Mason, who I I cannot see being any more different personality wise. Yeah, and in fact, they went to <laughs> rival schools, and then you got Ben over there pouting that there's all these young quarterbacks in the room. It's going to be weird. Well, that's the thing. Roethlisberger is how old is he? Thirty four or thirty? I don't know. He's like our age or maybe a little bit older and he's only I look this up he's only under contract for the next two years he acts like he's like locked up for the next eight years and is gonna is gonna play until like until he's you know Tom Brady era Tom Brady's age like into his 40s and like just have some like self-awareness or some foresight of like hey this is a direction that the organization might need to go in in the future and I don't plan on letting this guy take my job. I'm going to, I'm going to be, there's just, I don't know. There's just a level of professionalism that, that seems to be lacking there. Yeah. And I'm sure the Steelers are sitting there going, you know, Ben's talking now about playing the next three to five years and he's signed for two. And it's like, yeah, where was this talk the last four years? (laughs) (laughs) You've been threatening us with retirement and we haven't had a replacement ready to go. You know, we've had Landry. That's about it. Yeah. So I'm sure the Steelers are like, well, dude, you haven't said any of this. So it's it's all games, and I'm sure he's trying to, you know, just show what kind of power he has over the franchise. Speaking of the Steelers, did you see the numbers that were handed out today for, for Washington and Rudolph? I did not. I've been eagerly awaiting. So Rudolph is, is staying with two. Nice. And uh, Washington is actually dropping uh, some, some numbers down to 13. Whoa. Yeah, kind of weird. Which I like because he wore like the weirdest number ever for a receiver. <laughs> he wore like a running back number at OSU. Uh, so I like I like that they've let receivers kind of wear something besides in the 80s, you know. It's kind of a recent phenomenon because uh, they won't let them wear single digits anymore, I don't think. But they can they can wear something in the teens, which is different. But uh so now you've got two guys. You got Tyron and you got you got James Washington, both wearing thirteen. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean, in, Tyron will wear twenty eight in the pros. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saw. Uh, I interviewed Spencer Sanders. Uh, did a Q and A with him. Uh, part one came out on Thursday. Part two is coming out on Monday. But we talked a little bit about numbers, and he said he's all about uh, the single digits, and. He said three, uh, one, three, or seven. I believe are are kind of his oh, his, man. his numbers that he has circled. He was originally Speaks to my heart. He was originally thirty two. That was his kind of family number. But when he moved to quarterback, he obviously couldn't couldn't wear thirty two anymore. So I thought you Good. might in, I thought you might enjoy the one, three, or seven. Those are like for me. It's like one, five, and seven. But yeah. uh, that's that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, he could be like that quarterback from like Indiana that was wearing like twenty. 21 <laughs> at quarterback, which looks so weird. He could he could wear 32. Spencer Sanders could be uh, yeah. Uh, it's running back. You wear a running back number at quarterback. No, but uh, that's that's cool. He seems to have uh, a lot of confidence. Yeah, the part I think part two is is uh, 
Yeah, we t- we talk about the future, talk about the fall and um, what he's expecting, and uh, get into just kind of the recruiting, uh, just just how guys are recruited. He 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 had some really interesting takes, so I'm excited about. Part one was good. I think part two is going to be even better. So, um, okay. Well, I, I kind of want to talk about some post spring storylines, but we do need to, uh, we need to get to our guests. We need to, we need to call Mike Boynton. It's time for the Coop Works guest of the week. Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma city. Try the flagship F five IPA, the bold DNR Belgian strong ale, or the refreshing horny toad blonde. If your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coop Works. And please remember to drink responsibly. Coach Boynton. Yes. How's it going? This is Kyle Porter and Carson Cunningham. What's up, guys? Not much. What do you? Where, uh, where are you first? First and foremost, where are you? Where are you at these days? Uh, for about thirty minutes, I'm in my office. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's let's start there. How, how, you, you're all over the place. These are these are difficult days to manage. How do you map out and sort of manage uh, your time and the way you're spending your days? Um. Yeah, they're difficult to manage in that there's a lot of things that are really important that all have to be done, and really it's just a matter of trying to prioritize the things that are certainly most important first and making sure those things get done. And sometimes you get to the end of the day and you haven't got everything off the list, uh, but you can't get through the day and number one and number two haven't been addressed. Uh, so recruiting is always number one. Um, you know, making sure that our players are in a good place is always number two. And, and my family, um, in theory, is number one, but but they, they fall right there uh, after those two things are handled. And then, you know, you get boosters and, and, and former players and checking on them. And, and right now we're trying to make sure that Jeff's in a good place with workouts and what's going on with him and uh, the guys that will be um, you know, graduating, get through graduation, and their families are in town. So there's a lot going on, and it's all really important stuff. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, making sure you prioritize those things. And then, you know, part of the reason you put together a staff is so that they can, they can help you manage some of those things. And uh, we got a really good staff, and that's been a, a great benefit to me. Last time we had you on the podcast, you said you were obsessed with recruiting, and you've had a lot of success lately. But uh, what's been the biggest challenge, I guess, uh, going on the road and recruiting, and, and how much has Mike Holder helped you along the way with recruiting? Yeah, so uh, Coach Holder's helped me pretty much in every step of this journey so far, um, just in terms of being a um, uh, sort of a mentor, really. Uh, he walked these shoes and, and, and did it for himself in a different sport and under different circumstances. Uh, but him being a coach is, is maybe uh, his greatest uh, strength for me um, because he understands um, the dynamics of recruiting. He understands the dynamics of trying to build – uh, some momentum for your program. And so he's been a great help as far as the actual job of recruiting. Um, I, I don't feel like there's been much challenge. Um, obviously we haven't got all the guys that we may have targeted uh, from the very beginning, but everybody that we will have will be a guy that we identify as someone who can bring great, um, you know, something to our program, you know, whether it be size or, or skill, uh, work ethic, competitiveness, the things that we really value. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to continue to do is just put ourselves in position where, you know, the, we want the absolute best players possible from a talent standpoint that we can get. But there's a balance to having, um, you know, five point guards who are really good and having, you know, one or two really good point guards and a couple guys who can rebound and some who can make shots uh, because the pieces of the puzzle have to fit together. Because ultimately, it's not just about accumulating talent. You know, the talent has to then translate to success on the court. Uh, so we feel good about what we're doing recruiting. And, you know, the reason that we work so hard, you know, at it is we know that, you know, at the end of the day, this is a player's game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a much better coach if I've got better players and uh, there's never going to be a point in my life, uh, no matter how many games we win or lose or that I will never, that I will get those things kind of, you know, misplaced in terms of the importance. My, my coaching ability is directly tied to the 
to the amount of talent that we can uh, accumulate here and, and get those guys to buy in the plan together. One of the things that you've heard from a, a lot of the guys that have committed or, or that we've interviewed who you're recruiting is how relatable you are and, and, and how easily these guys relate to you. What, how do you do that? Is, is it, do you have a kind of a go-to list of things that you want to talk about or just what's it like to, to go into a recruit's home or to host a recruit and, and be able to connect with them on their level and where they're at? Well, you know, the first thing you got to understand is every kid and every recruitment is um, is unique and different in some respect. Uh, and I can't talk about guys specifically that haven't signed, but I'll give you an example. A couple of guys may grow up in the same household and have very different ways that need that you have to connect with them, um, even though they've been raised the same way and taught the same things and you know value the same things but they're different people and so what you have to do which is part of the reason i'm so involved personally in recruiting uh because ultimately those things that they value have to kind of align with the things that that i value uh, as the leader of the program uh and then the assistant coaches and the support staff kind of follow that lead and trying to identify the guys that will or pursue, but you know, I don't just have a blanket. Uh, I don't have a cookie cutter or a template of, you know, I'm going to call this guy on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 a.m. I'm going to find out what that kid is about, what his story is, where he comes from. Maybe there's something that we have in common that we can kind of create a bond over. Uh, and, and sometimes you can't find the connectivity, and, and 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 really, that's one of the keys in recruiting is figuring out when it won't work <laughs> and, and getting out because one of the hardest things uh, to do is spend a lot of time recruiting a kid, never really developing that connection yeah. and realizing that you never really had a chance. And now you've wasted you know, a lot of time that, that you can't get back. You know, I can get, you know, the, the, there'll be money in our budget again next year. So we'll get the money back. Right. And, but the time, you spend time recruiting one kid, you're not spending that time recruiting somebody else. And if, yeah. and if you can't see the tea leaves and you, you're not, you don't have a really good feel for you know, how that recruitment is going, uh, you really can waste a lot of time spending your wheels, uh, not getting a whole lot done. Um, so that's, that's one thing. I try to be very personable with the kids, and I try to be very honest. I mean, we recruit from a very you know, honest standpoint. You know, we tell guys all the time, you know, Stillwater is a special place but it's not New York City. And yeah. so, you know, if you want, you know, arts and, and, and big city living and a lot of activity outside of campus life and basketball, this may not be the place for you. Um, if, if playing in the ACC was always your dream, and we can't help you. <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, it's just a matter of being, being, being very personal and, and being diligent. You know, we lost a kid here recently who I felt a very strong connection with. And, and I think even the guys that we don't get sometimes, when you listen to them talk, you can tell the way we've recruited them that they felt a connection. And over time, you feel good that those things will produce the results that you want. Mike, you've become a uh, must-follow on Twitter, I have to say. And yesterday, I was trying to crack a Da Vinci Code of emojis that you sent out. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I think the, the guy you were alluding to committed and uh, actually broke his commitment on, on pistols firing, which was cool. But yeah, you've been having a lot of fun with Twitter and I, you riled up sooner nation, I guess with the eyeball emoji. I didn't, you didn't know. And I didn't know that they had the eyeball emoji copywritten, I guess, but uh, are you having fun with all the emojis and going back and forth with fans? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I'll tell you this. When, when that whole thing happened, I was so, this is, I'm kind of, I kind of get stuck in our world. Uh, I don't really pay much attention to, to things that are kind of outside of what we're doing. Uh, so I didn't even know what happened. So we had a couple kids on campus that weekend and, you know, we can't speak. And I don't like to really take the kids opportunity to, to break their own stories anyway, but I do like to give our fans sometimes a sense of, Hey, you know, kind of be on alert. Something may be happening. Um, and so when I initially tweeted the eyeball thing, 
uh, it never dawned on me that someone else at some point <laughs> may have used the same emoji or created the emoji to use for that purpose. Um, and I didn't even know. So we went to dinner later and our staff was like, Hey man, you're getting crushed on Twitter. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you haven't checked your feed? I was like, no, I just, well, after, after I tweeted, I went home, took a shower, saw my kids for five minutes, gave my wife a hug, and now I'm here at dinner. They're like, oh man, you got to check it. So I go on and there's this like flurry of people like, oh, you're thief for the night or whatever it is. And I'm like, God, what the heck is going on? This is social media. I mean, it's like, the exclamation point like yeah. who owns it <laughs> but uh, so, uh, but it's fine man i um i say i say this we work really hard but we have a good time uh part of the reason i think our staff works together is we have fun uh we enjoy being around each other we don't take ourselves too seriously uh and this is college athletics and this is supposed to be enjoyable and that's how we try to keep the environment around here and how how much are the guys that you're recruiting, or, or even the guys that are on campus? How much do they live in that world of of social media, and and how has that uh, maybe affected the way that you coach or recruit, or or just kind of run your program from when you entered college, you know, uh, several years ago? How much has that changed, and 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 what do you do uh, because of that? Yeah, so I'm going to sound really old, even though I'm not, as everybody kind of knows, right? But so in 2004, I finished from college, my last year. Like, I think Facebook started maybe like the year after that. Yeah. Or like that following fall. Yeah. So I never really kind of, I was, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with it. I didn't really get into it that much. Uh, And then I kind of started to get into Twitter as I got more into recruiting, only because that's where a lot of news was being reported. Uh, and I didn't really tweet that much uh, until maybe a couple of years ago. Um, once I saw that it became more uh, a normal mode of communication. Uh, but I do understand that part of my job here is to be visible and, and help people understand what's going on kind of behind the scenes sometimes. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's certainly a different world than when I played. Uh, and the kids are connected to their devices all the time. And it's a way that... You know, they get information that they give information. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure there's some coaches still fighting it, which is fine with me. We'll stay ahead a little bit um, in that regard. Uh, but then I'm still not all the way in on the social media. Like, I don't have Instagram, which I've been being told for about two years that I need to get it. And I don't really understand it because it's just pictures, right? I mean, there's no – and then the Snapchat thing – when they told me that you can do this and it disappears and never exists, I'm a skeptic. There's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. Anything I, it can be traced. It can be found. And you know, I don't, whatever. So I stick with Twitter. Uh, it's been pretty useful for me. I've been able to connect with a lot of people, uh, but most notably it's, it's for our fans more, more than anything. Well, Mike, you had a, a great year, and it really seemed like the fan base got behind you there towards the end of the year. Uh, my dad used to take me to games in old Gallagher, and he hadn't been to a game in five, six, seven, maybe even eight or nine years. It's been a long time since he's went to Gallagher for a basketball game, but yeah. he wanted to go. We went to we went to one of uh, uh, the games toward the end of the year together. Uh, what was it like for you to kind of see that culmination at the end for, like, obviously Gallagher is always rowdy, but, like, when it's full, like you had it towards the end of the year, it's just a different animal entirely. What was it like to be on the sideline for that? Man, it was um, it was really cool to see um, the program kind of being reborn in some ways. Um, and, and I'll stop short, uh, to be honest, of saying it was a great season. I mean, we won 21 games and we had some really big wins. We also lost 15 and didn't make the tournament, right? So – um, I wouldn't go that far, but I do understand what the expectation was coming in. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, the, the part of that, it was, it was me. Um, there was a lot of skepticism about my ability to do the job and to get the players motivated enough and whether we had good enough guys to win and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I was, I was always confident and, and you sat in on some of the press conferences, you know, I always felt like we had the ability to have success, but I said this about a week ago. 
if you told me to win 21 games, you got to beat Kansas twice, Oklahoma twice, at West Virginia, Texas, Tech, Florida State, <laughs> I'd say we're going to win 12. We're going to have 10 <laughs> or 12 wins. I mean, <laughs> uh, but, you know, with that being said, we had a toughness about us. Uh, we didn't find consistency until late. So every time we would have an opportunity to build some real momentum and get our fans really engaged, we'd come home and lose to Baylor, who's a really good team, but it stymies the excitement. Um, go to West Virginia, come home and lose to TCU, who's a really good team, went to the tournament, could have won a game, but it stymies the excitement that, you know, if you win, maybe at some point if we win, we went, we had the same finishing record, but we went three or four games in a row during league play. Now that maybe that excitement is, happens a little bit earlier. Um, but I think something weird happened when we didn't get in the tournament um, because of the wins we had that people felt um, bothered. They, they began to own it. Like, that's our program that was, was left out, unfortunately. And so uh, the people reconnected with it in a way that I didn't anticipate for the NIT. Um, yeah, I played in the NIT as a player at South Carolina. We never had 11,000 people show up for a game. I coached in the NIT, and you know, I never saw crowds like that with that type of enthusiasm. So I think what we did was, you know, the, the program is, is back on solid footing, and now the work of recruiting and building the roster is, is ongoing. Uh, now it's just putting it together and playing from a standpoint where people expect you to have success now. Uh, so the the, the storyline changes, the tables turn, and now, okay, we are excited. We're going to show up, and now it's upon my staff, myself, and our players uh, to go out and produce the product that people will continue to be excited about. I think we, we both have one more for you here. My, my last one, Coach, is um, who was the player or coach or just somebody within the organization that – surprised you most last year uh, i know that you knew a lot of the people and and kind of maybe what you were getting but who who is somebody that stood out and you're like wow that 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 person really um you know impressed me or surprised me throughout the year oh man we had so much going on guys i mean it's really hard to quantify how much um you know different dynamics were at place so i had there are probably like 12 guys on our staff, you know, assistant coaches, support staff. And there's only one person doing the job this past season that they had the year before. So, so we got like 11 out of 12 people doing a brand new job within our program. You know, Coach Sutton and Coach Cooper were head coaches prior. Uh, Keaton Page moved into a different role. Our strength coach, I think, is the only guy who was doing the same job that he did the year before. Uh, so you, you got a lot of people – and, and everybody's trying to figure out how what they do fits with the big puzzle. So, um, you know, Coach Sutton, for example, had to be the latest assistant coaching hire in history of college basketball. <laughs> I mean, we hired him on October 22nd. We had started practice two weeks prior. <laughs> <laughs> so for him to come in and, and, and be – as good as he was in terms of helping our team prepare for games and in practice when he didn't know what was going on for about the first two months of the year uh, was something that was really uh, helpful to me. I knew Coach Cooper really, really well because he helped recruit me and coached me. Uh, Coach Contactus was then plunged into a little bit more dominant recruiting role, you know, once the whole uh, staff was shaken up. And, and everybody, to be honest, for about, for about two and a half, three weeks, was asked to do more than their normal role. Uh, so I would just give credit to the overall staff. Um, I could not have done the job um, with as much confidence um, throughout all the things that were going on without their help. Um, you know, the hardest thing I did all year was have to dismiss Devon and Zach off the team, and now you got two guys who people had expectations for helping us. Um, and before conference play, they're gone. Um, but the kids on the team responded in a way that they were never really bothered, uh, which kind of tells you maybe it was the right thing to do. Uh, and then to go on and continue to have success the way we did. Uh, but the person who gets the most credit for us having the success, at least from my standpoint, uh, has to be my wife. Um, I mean, we were kind of thrown into a you know, unusual situation 
You know, this, I don't know any other guys who've gotten head coaching jobs at this level the way I had. Um, and she handled it all with our two young kids with unbelievable grace and support. And when I came home at 2 in the morning and left at 4 to go catch a flight to go recruit somebody else, she never batted an eye and, and was totally supportive. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate her more than she could uh, know. So Mother's Day is a big deal this weekend for her. Well, I have one more question for you, Mike. We really appreciate your time. Um, I thought one of the more interesting things you said this year was a kid from Brooklyn could, uh, who knows, I might be here 25 years later and uh, working on a farm near Stillwater. You know, OSU is such a unique school in that a lot of the coaches are alums. And when they're not, people just assume you want to up and leave as soon as a good job comes comes about. Is that something you could really see yourself doing, um, saying let's work out on the farm in Stillwater? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I may have been a little bit in the moment talking about the farm. I don't know anything about farming. Right? So I, I may live on a place where, like, it used to be a farm, <laughs> but there won't be like Gundy Ranch, like Gundy Ranch, right? Like, yeah. there, won't, there won't be any animals where I'm living. <laughs> uh, but I, I'll say this: um, I really love it here, uh, and, and you know, the hardest thing for people to understand is um, I don't have a I don't have a, um, like, I'm not this guy who was a great player, went on to the NBA, or played for this legendary coach, or has a famous last name. Uh, I've been truly blessed just to be around really good people. And I've tried to work really hard everywhere I go and have a great appreciation for stability. Uh, I don't really like change that much. Um, And... You know, as long as my wife and and my children are are happy and and comfortable here, and and we were wanted, you know, where do you leave Oklahoma State to go? I believe this is an elite job. I believe this is an elite basketball program. We have an opportunity to get it back to where everybody else can understand that again. Uh, we're not there yet, but I mean, what do you? I think sometimes the people here don't understand the level of respectability that this program has nationwide. I mean, we go a lot of different places. You'll see when this final class is put together, and people say, hey, you got to recruit in Texas. And yes, we do. There's really a lot of good players there. And you got to recruit in Oklahoma. Yeah, there's good players in the state. We can go to New York City, and I say I'm from Oklahoma State. People will know what it's about. And I can go out to Oakland and recruit a kid named Kendall Smith who has a really good year for us. And he was gung-ho about wanting to play in the Big 12 and, and have an opportunity to go to Lawrence and, and beat Kansas um, and, and down in Florida. So we can go and touch places, touch people in a lot of different places and have uh, a great sense of respectability. Uh, so I say all that to say I want to be here. I, I, don't, I don't envision coaching anywhere else. Uh, I was fortunate because this was the first job I ever had. Uh, but man, I don't I don't like change. Uh, I, I'll tell you this: the first after I agreed to the terms of the new deal, the final four was that weekend. I came back. There was a pamphlet on my house on my on my uh, on my desk for a new house. Some real estate agent somehow got something to my wife or assistant or whatever, and I told my wife, "Hey, this is great. We're not moving again." <laughs> <laughs> so she's doing renovations in the house we live in because I'm not moving again. <laughs> um, so we're, we're happy. We're comfortable, man. We like it. We work for great people. Uh, you know, Coach Holder's been unbelievable. He he was the champion of this thing. He was the he was the visionary behind all this. Um, and there were some people on the board who who got uh, who who were supportive as well. But he was the first person to really identify this as an option. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of appreciation and respect for him taking a chance on us. Well, Coach, we uh, we appreciate your time a lot. I, I know you have a lot going on. Uh, it's a it's a busy week and weekend for you. Um, so good luck with everything. Thank you for the time. And hey, uh, I got to commend you on the the veteran move of uh, giving a shout out to your wife on on Mother's Day weekend. So uh, you might be new at the job, but that was a, that was a veteran move. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Hope you guys Thank have a great weekend too. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. All right. All right, Kyle. Uh, that was our second time talking to Coach Boynton. A lot's happened since the first time, but uh, I think you and I both probably <laughs> had the same thoughts we had last time. This guy's uh, 
pretty unbelievable. Uh, you can see why, again, you can just, every time you talk to him, you can see why Mike Holder fell in love with this guy and wanted to hire him. He just, he, he's got a lot going for him and was uh, impressive as always. Yeah, people don't know this, but you and I text back and forth during these interviews uh, just to make sure we're on the same page, getting getting people out on time and, and all that stuff. And uh, we, we traded some some pretty uh, <laughs> some pretty humorous texts while he was talking. <laughs> the ending uh, of him talking, I, I wrote down the quote because I'll, I'll probably write about it later. Where do you leave Oklahoma State to go? And, and I thought it was. I mean, obviously, that's a that's a great quote, and and he probably knows that that's a great quote. But also, I, I thought it was really interesting that he pointed out that I think or that he thinks that sometimes people Nash or people within Oklahoma State world don't understand the brand nationally because you're in Oklahoma State world. It's a, it's a very insular world to live to live in to be in because Stillwater is sort of an insular place. And so for him to be taking that brand nationally across the nation, literally, uh, and, and to see the um, sort of way it, it resonates with recruits and, and, and people and, and their families, uh, that that's pretty interesting because that's a perspective that you and I don't have and, and that I think that a lot of Oklahoma State fans don't have as well. Yeah, and it's easy to forget, like you said, being here, I mean – it feels like OSU hasn't been what they're supposed to be at basketball in two decades when really it's been seven, eight years. And even, even then Travis Ford had them ranked pretty high a few times, Marcus Smart and everything else. And you can go even further back in history, obviously, but no, he, he's right in that OSU's a basketball school. I mean, they've become a football school now with what Mike Gundy's built, but uh, a lot of people nationwide know who they are through basketball. So that, that was interesting to hear as well. But uh, I was I was going to ask him, and he kind of answered. He answered it actually when I asked him about recruiting. Was just how he balances uh, recruiting talent versus recruiting a team, and it sure sounds like he just wants to get the most talented guys possible. And he's confident in his coaching ability to make it work as a team. So I thought that was I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, it is interesting, and and I think that we saw in his first year. I mean, that that was sort of that was sort of Travis Ford's theory, right? But. I think we saw with him, he, he could never make it all work together. He could never make it all mesh. And, and, and I feel like we, and you mentioned this, I think throughout the year, we saw in year one that, that Boynton does have a, a, a pretty good handle on, on the way to make it all mesh. I mean, I, I, I and, and you, you pointed that out and, and I agree with it. And, you know, maybe who knows, like maybe he, maybe that's not a reality in the future, but for year one, it, it certainly looked like it. Yeah, he can coach. That was one of my big takeaways from the year. I mean, those some of those plays he drew up, you were like, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. And a lot of times the plays he would draw up wouldn't work because the, the players couldn't execute it quite properly. And I think once he gets even more talented guys, I think you're, you're going to see some real results. Uh, but I, I, he just he, com- he comes across as like so down to earth. Like the the stuff about Twitter, like he's like, who has the copyright to like the? It's like the exclamation point. He's like, who, who, who only gets to use the exclamation point? And he's right. So I thought that was hilarious yeah, as well. But uh, no, he he's awesome, um, and he's had a lot of success. I know he couldn't talk specifics about recruiting and stuff, but you guys you guys broke a recruitment last night on the blog. I tried to mention that in the interview. Uh, he he's landing. Uh, I think he has like two more scholarships, but he only wants to fill one more and. Uh, Seems as if he's he's filling out his roster quite nicely. We were all kind of worried about it when he he only had like four or five scholarship guys, but uh, he seems to be doing all right in the recruiting trail. Well, and and you know what's interesting too is they don't have any seniors right now. Uh, I, I I believe that's still true with um, with Shine leaving, with uh, Sema leaving, and then obviously with Carroll and Kendall Smith and Mitchell Solomon leaving. They're they're young. And I think that's what he, I think that's what he's going for. I think that's what he likes. And uh, year two is going to be interesting because it's going to be, I mean, it's just a completely different team. Um, you just, it's just, uh, you almost overhaul the whole thing. So it's certainly going to be different and it's going to be interesting to see if they uh, can compete without the Kendall Smiths and and Jeffrey Carroll's of the world. But yeah, I mean, this guy that um, I can't pronounce his last name, but his first name is Isaac, and um, he's a top uh, 150 player uh, in the country, 
top 10 player in the state of Texas, which always catches my eye, but he's a point guard and Kyle Boone thinks he's going to commit to, um, to Oklahoma state on Friday. And, and that might, maybe that's it. Maybe that's your entire team for 2018, 19, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was certainly fun to talk to him about, I think talking to him about recruiting is, is super interesting. I'd love to sit down in a room with him and Mike Gundy and have a, th- have a three person or four person, I guess, conversation about, uh, recruiting theories and processes and, and all of that stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can do that someday. It'd be awesome. Co- Coach B, they, they got too many stars next to their name. <laughs> you can't recruit that many stars of Stillwater. <laughs> That's how the conversation would go. He definitely calls him Coach B. Yeah, we should have told Boynton maybe he can lease his his farmland to Gundy someday. Gundy's going to have you know, a thousand cattle by that time. Well, I think that's where he came up with that quote about living on a ranch 25. Yeah. I think he, I think he went to like ranch Gundy and, uh, <laughs> or Gundy ranch. And it was like, Whoa, this is pretty sweet. I could, I could, I could build me one of these. <laughs> so, I think that's kind of where he got the idea. Cabela's, uh, Stillwater. Him and, uh, Gundy and John Smith, you know, they live out there in the, they got their own land out there and, I think he's right, though. I, don't, I, I can't see Coach Boynton having, like, llamas and sheep. And, <laughs> like, I guess John Smith has a bunch of exotic animals out there. Uh, I don't really see Gundy having that either. I think I think he just does it just for the, the character. I think half of what he does is just for the character. Of you it. don't think he really is, like, uh, wrestling goats out on the ranch? I mean, I see, I see Gundy, like, posted up with, like, a Corona light next to the pool. Like, I don't really see him, like, you know, roping calves and stuff. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him having, like, his own hunting show out on a ranch. <laughs> his own turtle hunting show. I, I, I would watch that. Uh, would subscribe. Okay. We're going to do something a little different this week. We're, 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 uh, I, I just pushed this idea upon you, and we're going to try it. Um, we, we kind of run out of uni ideas sometimes. So this week we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a throwback of the week. One of the, one of the things we started doing on this podcast is just going off on these kind of rabbit trails of talking about old players. So we're going to purposefully do it now. Uh, and, and so let's get to this week's uh, throwback of the week brought to you by Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So my idea for this, Carson, is I wanted uh, one of us to just kind of throw a name out there that we thought of recently that's that's uh, deep in the Oklahoma State past and uh, just discuss that player or coach or, or whatever uh, for a few minutes. So the one that uh, came to my mind uh, because he was, I believe, at the spring game and, and there, was a, there was a photo of him that was floating around uh, was Antonio Smith, former uh, Cowboy defensive player and and longtime NFL guy. He played in the NFL for like ten years. Yeah, I remember him at OSU, but he was like ten times better in the NFL. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like he, he he was a good player at OSU, but you didn't watch him and think he was going to be ten year vet and you know flirting with frankly all pro teams. That's how good he yeah. was. It, so isn't that, it? That is a name from the past. Isn't it interesting that I, I was doing this little exercise today where I was um, sort of looking at all the current Oklahoma State professional athletes, and there's there's really not a lot of them. I mean, you've got kind of your handful of guys in the NFL, Des being the kind of the preeminent one. You've got two guys in the NBA, three guys in the NBA. You've got a couple of major league baseball players, but it just feels it feels like for the amount of success Oklahoma State's had in all these sports that they should have more pros and, and maybe they will in football in the future, but uh, I don't know that that kind of stood out to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess that shows how hard it is to make it. I mean, you can probably go to, I mean, does Texas have that many more in NFL and NBA? Probably not. Probably about the same. You think NBA? Well, you got Durant. Um, eh, they got they got more in the NBA, I guess. Durant, Aldridge, uh, probably a couple more. I'm forgetting. But TJ uh, <clears throat> Ford. No, nah, he's. I don't think he's playing still. 
Uh, mine, actually, I actually uh, talked to, to mine. I was at an NBA game a few months ago. Thunder were playing the Nuggets, and Stevie Graham is on like the player development yes. uh, staff there. And you know, I didn't like walk up, hey Stevie, I remember you from college. I just, I just like, oh, there's Stevie Graham. And then I was sitting down, getting ready for my for my live shot, and he kind of was. He sat down with like another assistant, a younger assistant guy, right next, right to my left. And I wasn't eavesdropping at first, but then I, I heard him telling the story about how James Thomas went into the crowd. Remember the guy from Texas? <laughs> yes. Where he, like someone, I think it was TJ Ford and James Thomas. Yeah, I think it Ford, was. like Ford dove for a ball and accidentally, you know, he, he didn't know who this woman, there was a woman that was pregnant in the crowd and he, he landed on her trying to save the basketball and the guy's, the woman's husband, uh, if people don't remember this, the woman's husband got in his face and shoved him. And James Thomas comes flying in, and he's a scary, scary dude. He was a big dude, one of the tougher guys in the league. And Stevie Graham's trying to explain how how scary James Thomas was and how how wild it was getting with the players and the stands and everything. And I think, or no, he was telling the story about a player going in, and he couldn't remember the guy's name. And so I chimed in. I was like, "That's James Thomas." Remember, he had the he had like the dreadlocks, whatever. He's like, "Oh yeah, that was his name." And they the guy would. His, his assistant friend was like, really? He went into the crowd? So it was kind of fun to relive an old Big 12 moment with, with Stevie Graham, who actually, I think, had a longer career than Joey in the NBA. If You you could have won a lot of money betting on that with their, the way their careers in college played out. But uh, no, he's sticking in the NBA as a, like an assistant. So that was cool to, to see him and reminisce on the old Big 12 uh, wars. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. James Thomas, the thing I remember about, he wore number zero, right? Yep. He had like the widest shoulders of any human being I've ever seen. Like he was a just a like Dwight Howard. Guy. Yes. <laughs> it looks like a somebody just put, like stuck a rod like through his neck like going horizontal and like that was just like his his the way his shoulders were structured. It was it was crazy. But yeah. That's a good one. Um I I think I think that'll be fun. I would we'll, we'll definitely do uni stuff in the future. We might switch back and forth, but um, just kind of wanted to uh, to throw throw that out there, and uh, I don't know. Get what do you, well, since we're on it, what do you think about? Again, it was just the first episode, but the Driven Show, and yeah, the, yeah. Like, is the golf team full on Nike? Like, are they going to be rocking blade collars, or are they just kind of still like ping, and then they'll wear like a Nike shirt? Do we know I that? I don't know what's going on. Well, we'll, it's have like, to, we'll have to investigate further on the next episode. It's like when, when Baylor was like Under Armour in baseball, Nike in football, and Adidas in basketball. <laughs> it's like you, It sounds like you guys need, have some issues, and you might need Chad Weiberg to clean things up. Well, I mean, they're Nike and everything else. They should be like the Nike golf school. They should be looking like uh, you know Tiger and, and Patty Reed out there. I don't, I don't, everywhere. Jason I don't Day. Need, I don't need anybody looking like Patty Reed. Well, that was a bad example. He he does own he does have the deed to Karsten Creek in his golf bag. <laughs> That's for sure. So he might he might have to show up just to like like will Patrick Reed hit the ceremonial tee shot at Karsten <laughs> to start things off? He's gonna be named the new president of Oklahoma State after Burns Hargis retires oh man uh, you had some other items you wanted to get to though yeah we get let's let's hear one more time from our sponsor chris's university spirit and we'll come back and i want to play a little overrated underrated uh with carson chris's university spirit on campus corner in stillwater oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast pistols firing they specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, The Fried Egg, is run by a guy named Andy Johnson, and this is not a revolutionary little bit, but uh, he always does overrated, underrated. He throws just 
just random stuff out there and his guests discuss whether that particular thing is overrated or underrated and it's a lot of fun and I wanted to try it with us. So um, we'll start off with a with an easy one or I don't know if it'll be easy, but it's one that everybody knows. Boone Pickens Stadium, overrated or underrated? Oh, I think it's underrated in terms of just how difficult the crowd can make it. I mean, it's kind of hard to say that now that they lost three home games last year with one of their best teams ever, but that, <laughs> that, that, that had more to do with the team and the coaching than the, than the crowd. I think it's, it's always been underrated. You and I have talked about that a lot, just how close the fans are, uh, the sound bouncing off Gallagher-Iba as well. It's kind of enclosed all the way around, so that's uh, definitely underrated. Yeah, I, I think I agree, especially after going to like Texas and uh, – different places like that, these places that are a lot bigger, you're just like, is Texas a tougher place to play than Stillwater? I don't, not really, you know? No. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the underrated camp as well, especially with the, they, I saw a picture that the, the, uh, the Jumbotron is underway. They've, they've started the, the infrastructure for it. Have they really? I, didn't, I missed this. Yeah. I think it, it got, it got tweeted out by something random, like the, like the cowboy football recruiting account or something like that. I don't know. Um, hmm. Okay. My next one I got is veteran college quarterbacks. So guys that have been in a system or a program for a long time, underrated or overrated? Yeah, overrated. I think college football used to be a sport in which you had to get guys into their junior and senior years. And there's guys now that are ready to play as true freshmen, whether it's quarterback, cornerback, receiver doesn't matter we saw that with tylen wallace last year guy's a true freshman and is playing with in that receiving core tells you how good he is so i think it's it's overrated yeah and obviously the reason i ask this is because the the quarterback derby that's about to take place man i i gotta say after talking to to sanders i was not uh i was not uh more con He's going to be the starter, is what I was convinced of. <laughs> well, I thought Barry Trammell made a very good point in one of his chats this week. He's like, he made the point that Drew Brown would not have come to Stillwater with he, you know, he had a he had other like high level offers. Yeah, his theory is he would not have come here without some assurances made about you know playing time or here's our plan for Sanders to redshirt. We want you to come be the guy. Maybe that's just something you say to recruit to get him on campus, and then you do what say the best man wins. But uh, I thought that was an interesting point. And one, one maybe I've kind of overlooked a little. Yeah, that's true. I, I just, and again, like I, it's confirmation bias because I'm already convinced that Sanders is going to be a star, but he was pretty dynamic to talk to. Like you, you talk to some of these guys. I mean, we even talk to guys like after they get out of when, when they're like post-college and you're like, eh, I don't know. Like that guy, Maybe there's something going on. Maybe he's just, I don't know. Sanders was, was he was pretty engaging. And, and, and I think that that is sort of an underrated trait of um, quarterbacks. I mean, how, how, in, how, how dynamic is your personality? How, how, what's your ability to galvanize uh, an offense and a team? And, uh, again, I've talked to him for 30 minutes, so it's not like I have a <laughs> – handle on his entire life but I, I, I he, he was pretty impressive I won't fall for that one of my first interviews of my career was with one Bobby Reed as he was about to win the job as a redshirt freshman I walked away from that interview saying that guy is going to be an all-american gonna be a first round pick uh and didn't happen so I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna fall in that trap again that's a that's a great rebuttal that's a great counter and it doesn't always work out and uh again confirmation bias for me but uh that's that's my stance right now okay last two uh i'm watching ricky right now at the players championship i'm not at the players championship but he's on my television players championship overrated or underrated um i'm gonna go a little overrated i mean we always talk about it being the fifth major but i watched yesterday and it was it was fine i just it felt like i was watching any other tournament I may be on the weekend when it's high stakes and they're at the island uh, hole. Maybe that's when I'll I'll get more juiced up. But maybe maybe it's just because the big three didn't play well. Well, the big six didn't play well. The the Ricky uh, Tiger Phil group 
shot nine over, and then the Rory Jordan uh, JT group shot like two over. I mean, it was it was not good. Um, no, I'm gonna say underrated. I think it's awesome, and I think that the Island Green thing is a little overcooked. I think that the PGA Tour gets a little. They're they're aggressive with the way they promote the whole thing, um, but it I don't know I just I love that it allows so many different great players to compete for a a tournament. You, you don't always get that at uh, at some of the bigger events. So I'm in on the players over the PGA Championship, and there are times when I think it's more fun than the U.S. Open. Wow, yeah, I know Old that's statement. a take. That's a take. Okay, last one. Uh. And these are not all OSU related, but uh, I've been I've been super into the NBA playoffs. I've I've told you before it's my guilty pleasure. Uh, I enjoy watching it. It's a lot of fun. Don't feel guilty. It's the NBA. Worldwide. Yeah, I know, but I I got a lot of other stuff going on, so I, I always feel <laughs> like I'm you know whatever. But um, LeBron, where do you stand on LeBron? Overrated? Underrated? Um. Properly rated. Uh, I'm going to go overrated. How about that? Um, I think people wow. are only for the pretense that people are putting him over Jordan, which I just I cannot do. I was I was of the age where you and I both were of the age where we we got to see Jordan in his the peak of his powers. And as great as LeBron is, he was never quite as dominant of a just a force that. Uh, that Jordan was. I mean, there's just, you can look, I tweeted out a link to like 23 ridiculous Jordan stats on his 50th birthday that they posted years ago. The guy lost 43 games his final three years combined. Like the guy did not lose and they play 82 games. Uh, I mean, he averaged over 30 points per game for seven years in a row. Never went to a game seven in the NBA finals. Like LeBron's been awesome. I mean, I think it's clearly Jordan, and LeBron are up in their own like penthouse and the rest of the NBA are like 10 stories down below. Like they're far and away the two best ever, like not even close. So I, I, I hate every time I have this discussion, that's trying to put one, one or the other down, but uh, I, I can't put them over Jordan. I mean, Jordan was playing in the East when the East was the best conference. Um, the East has been terrible when LeBron's been there. That's why he's made, let's be honest. That's why he's made eight straight finals uh, or he's going to make eight straight finals. If he was playing in the West, that wouldn't be the case. But uh, but no, I mean, I I say a little overrated. I, I think he's underrated. I, I think in the same way that Tiger is underrated, um, just because it's it's hard to get perspective. We've gotten more perspective with Tiger recently, but it's hard to get perspective on guys' careers until they're done because you're kind of in the moment and you're debating, like, these single games and even possessions and, like, you know, like people just like lose their minds over like very like minuscule things. And he's been, he's been unbelievable for a really long time. And and, it, and it's amazing to me that he can play this many games and still compete at that high of a level. I mean, it, it, it's, and his team stinks. I mean, I know the East stinks, but my gosh, like you could roll you and me out there and it would, you know, they'd have more shooting than they do right now. I guess they have Kyle <laughs> Korver, but I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm consistently impressed by his dedication to becoming better and being great. Cause I think that's hard to maintain for that long a period of time. Obviously Jordan did it. Kobe did it. A lot of guys do it, but it's really hard to, to, consistently motive. I mean, what does, what does he have? He, he doesn't need any money. He doesn't need anything, but he's, he's consistently motivated himself to become better and better and better. And I'm impressed by that. And I, th- I think that makes you, um, I don't know. I think that makes you kind of a one of a kind and, and set apart. Yeah. He's been awesome. Yeah. Okay. Shame that, uh, Kevin Durant basically closed oh off the gosh. NBA to the rest of the world by joining been- a 73 win team. Spencer Sanders, a Kevin Durant fan. Man after my own heart. Not my quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> where's where's Corndog at? Okay. <laughs> where's the oil baron? Okay, Carson. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks again to Mike Boynton for coming on. This was, this was fun. This was a fun show. It was a good one. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Mike was awesome. We really appreciate his time, and uh, we'll have to catch up with him uh, when the season's getting closer for sure. That was awesome. Yeah, it's great. Uh, okay, we will uh, talk to you next week. Yep, have a good weekend, man. You too.